Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Mark chapter 4. Um, thank you, Miss Valerie. And we're going to start in verse 35. I'm going to look at two interesting events in the life of Jesus here. And these stories, I think most of you are familiar with, especially this one. It says, on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now, the, Jesus has been ministering all day long, all day long, from morning all the way up until evening. Now the, the sun's setting. He's tired. You're going to see that he's tired. And he says, let us cross over to the other side. This is important to remember what Jesus said. Let us do what? Did he say, let us get in the boat? Huh? Let's start. No, he said, let's cross over to the other. So he gave them the destination, didn't he? All right. How many of you know that when Jesus said, let's cross over the other side, you're going to the other side, right? You're going to the other side. And, and, and so that's, that's so important to remember. Verse 36. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with them. Now, this account you can read in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, if you want to just jot down the other references, it's Matthew chapter 8 and Luke chapter 8, actually. And, um, but for the sake of time, we're going to focus on Mark. And so Mark is the only one. It's, it's important to read uh, those stories, especially when they're in different accounts, because you get extra details. Mark's the only one that gives us this extra detail that there were other little boats with them. So we, we, we often think of just that one boat out there when that storm comes, but there were several little boats out there, okay? And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. <laughs> Who was that? Jesus. He is worn out. I mean, he's exhausted. It's been a long day. And so he gets on that boat, and he just, he crashes, right? He's out. And they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? I've said this before. How many of you know that you shouldn't say this to the one who's about to die for your sins? <laughs> do you care that we, we are perishing? Do you not care? Think about that. Now, it says Jesus is asleep on a pillow. Where? In the stern. Not in the hull of the ship. He's in the stern. You know what the stern is? It's the back of the ship. It's where the captain sat. Okay, let's get this for a second. There is a great storm. He's in the elements. Out in the open, and he's fast asleep. And water is filling the boat. The wind is howling everywhere, and Jesus is out. He's not afraid of nothing. I mean, what does the creator have to fear should creation become dangerous. He's perfectly in God's will, and he's sleeping through this violent storm. Ooh, there's something to learn here. The disciples, on the other hand, they ain't asleep. They are in panic mode. And they've done what they can. The water's filling up. And so finally, they're thinking, why isn't he awake? Why isn't he acting like us? Why isn't he responding to the storm like we do? Why isn't he freaking out? He's asleep. Are you kidding me? So they go to Jesus and they wake him up. And, and 
accuse him of not caring. Then he arose, and watch this, and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. A great calm. From a great storm to a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Now, Matthew's version says, oh, you have little faith. And here in Mark says, how is it that you have no faith? Now watch, and they feared exceedingly. It's like they didn't even hear him. They got more scareder. (laughs) And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, watch this, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey? So compared to the storm, now the guy who can tell the storm to shut up, whoa, that's a whole new fear. Right? It's interesting. This story is so interesting. Because it does have a parallel story to it. It's actually found in the book of Jonah. Jonah was called by God to go preach to a city called what? Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was not a Jewish uh, city. It was where people like us live. Those on the outside. It was a very strange, strange story. It's strange if you're just looking at it in the way that God, his MO is through the Old and New Testament, especially in Jesus' time before the cross, is that he, he only dealt with the children of God, the children of Abraham. I mean, that, that was it. Everybody else is on the outside. And so now all of a sudden he wants this prophet to go to this pagan nation all right, and bring a message. So what does Jonah do? Mm-mm. No, Jonah don't want to do that. And here's why he didn't want to do that. Because he says, Lord, I know how you operate. I'm going to go send this message. And this is what God told Jonah to say. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. That's the entire message. He didn't say believe on the Lord. <laughs> he didn't say repent. He says in 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. And he's supposed to walk all the way through the city and proclaim for 40 days. In 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. This message has no hope in it. It doesn't have a way out. It's just a prophet proclaiming judgment is coming. Mm. But we know that they believed it, don't we? We know it says they believed God and they turned to God and God turned. God changed his mind. And Noah, I mean, Jonah knew that. Jonah said, I know you. I know you. I know I'm, you're going to send me there and they're going to they're believe. And then you're going to change your mind. And then I'm going to be looked at as the false prophet. That's why he didn't want to go. Because he had a reputation to uphold, you see. So, instead of heading to Nineveh from Joppa, he heads to a place called Tarshish. And Tarshish, interestingly enough, is where the Apostle Paul was from, later known as Tarsus. Isn't it interesting that we see a New Testament view of a, a man going from Tarsus to preach to Gentiles? And Jonah is that that picture. He's also the picture of Christ. But so he gets in the boat. Now he has all the wrong reasons. He is not in the boat according to the will of God. He's in the boat running from the will of God. And the scripture says that the Lord had caused a storm to come up. So all of a sudden this storm shows up. You know where Jonah is? He's asleep in the boat. Fast asleep in the boat. Now he is in the hull of the ship. And these sailors are like, uh-uh, something's wrong, something's wrong. We done ticked off some God out there. 
So they start praying to their gods, Jonah says. They start praying to their gods. Matter of fact, let's bring that up in Jonah chapter 1, verse 5. Then the uh, mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down to the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. Verse 6. So the captain came to him and said to him, What are you doing sleeping? Also, uh, arise, call on your God. Perhaps God will consider us that we may not perish. Isn't that interesting? They said, Lord, don't you care why you're sleeping? We're about to perish. Verse 15 of chapter 1. So they picked up Jonah. Okay, so they wake him up and Jonah's like, oh, man, I brought this trouble on this boat. Sorry, guys. And they said, well, what are we supposed to do? He said, you need to throw me over into the sea. Well, they didn't want to do that. They're like, no, we don't want to do that. So they rowed hard. They tried to get the boat back to land, and they couldn't do it to no avail. Finally, they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. From a great storm to a great calm. Then the men, what? Feared the Lord exceedingly. Same story, isn't it? Isn't it interesting? And offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. So both of them are afraid of the storm, but they're way more afraid of the Lord who calmed the storm. Jonah would then be in the belly of a well for three days, and Jesus Christ himself, thank God, would enter that ultimate storm that would take us out for all eternity, and he would look at it, face it head on, and go headlong into it. Thank you, Jesus. And bring great calm to our souls. But he said, let us cross over to the other side. Let us cross over. And somewhere along the way, this, the disciples got caught up in their circumstances. How easy is that to do? When you're reading that story, you think, come on, guys, but come on. We can all relate to that. The Lord gives you a promise. He shows you what can be. This is, this is my will. This is my purpose for your life. Somewhere along the way, storms come. Storms come. And one of the biggest temptations that we have is to then question God and his goodness. It's like they did. You don't care that we're perishing? They're not thinking. They're afraid. And fear always makes you act irrationally. Right? I think if they would have thought about that, they would have never said those words. But when you're afraid, anything's possible to come out of your mouth. And Jesus says, where was your faith? Or, or, oh, you have little faith. You have to remember, my word is what holds everything together. And you must believe that word so that you can experience its reality in your life. And faith is the way to do that. They, wow. Jesus didn't fear the wind and the waves or anything that they could do to him. His sleep was not predicated upon weather patterns. He knows who he is. Interesting. Let's look now at Mark chapter 5. Because interestingly enough, guess where Jesus is headed? He's headed to a Gentile stronghold. And this story is very much like Jonah's. He's headed to, now Jesus was not sent, didn't he say, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. We know two different Gentiles that actually received something from Jesus, healing in both matters. One was healing uh, from a devil uh, and that had caused this girl to be sick, and the other one was a uh, girl who had been sick as well. 
But, but because they believed, then Jesus gave it to them. Not because they had a right, but because they acted like Abraham. And when they put faith in him, he responded to it. But here he's purposefully going to this place. Now, this is an area called Decapolis. Decapolis is, um, is east on the east side. Let's say you have the Sea of Galilee. Just kind of follow my graph here. All right. Over here is Galilee. And opposite that is this area called Decapolis. And this is a Roman Greco stronghold. It's 10 cities. And uh, there it is. It does have some Hellenistic Jews, that is Jews who have adopted Greek culture, but mostly it's Gentiles. All right. And so it's interesting that Jesus is taking the time to go over here again. He's pointing us to there are these moments in time that we see what is really in the heart of God. He wants everybody. All right. So he goes over to this area. There are Jews there, so it's not necessarily a wasted trip. But there's a greater picture here. There's a greater purpose that we're going to see. So he gets there to the country of the Gadarenes. Now, Matthew's gospel calls it the Gergesenes, and both Luke and Mark say the Gadarenes. There's a place called Gadara, and then there's a place called uh, Gergesene. All right? And so you can kind of see it like a county and a city or a state. All right? So that's why there are different names there. One is pointing to one and the other, but it's all the same area. All right? Next, verse 2. Now, what did they just come through? They just come through a violent storm, right? So we see that there's, there's great resistance in this mission. There's great resistance already. They get there. Now, look, the first thing they <laughs> encounter. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. So you go from a storm to a madman, right? Watch. Who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. Wow. Their best option is to chain him up. I mean, this man is out of his mind, and their only option, the only thing they can do in the natural is, we've got to bind this guy. We have to somehow get him incarcerated, get him away from us because Matthew's gospel tells us that people couldn't even pass by the way because this guy would do violence on them. As soon as they would come up, ships would come up to the shore. This guy would come out and just go nuts on them. Luke tells us he's naked. So he's this naked man, wild man running around everywhere. They chain him up and he breaks the chains. Don't you know that? I mean, he is vexing their world. And, and they're deathly afraid of him. Nobody knows what to do with this guy. He doesn't have a home. He's living out in the graveyard. I mean, he's just tormented. Bless his heart. And Jesus shows up. I love this. Verse 5. And always night and day, he was in the mountains, in the tombs, crying out, cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. I wonder what, what is going on here. Now this is not the man talking now. All right, the man was the one who willed himself to get there to worship him. Demons aren't going to do that. So he had to push past all that to get there and worship him. And then this demon manifests and starts talking. What have we to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God, that you, we implore you by God that you do not torment me. Now, quickly jump over to that Matthew reference, Bailey. I think I, Matthew, is it nine? Yeah. When he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, uh, there met him t 
two demon-possessed men. Matthew's account gives two. Luke and Mark both give one. And neither one of them say that there weren't two. It seems that maybe one of them was just more prominent in this. We're not real sure. All right. There met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. Oh, well, I don't know if I meant to put that one there or not. Why did I give you that reference? Hang on, give me a second. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 29. Did I give you 28? Verse 29, my bad. I'll just start reading it. And suddenly they cried out saying, what have we to do with you, Jesus, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before our time? Now I want you to understand something that the demons understand. They immediately recognize him as the son of God and they recognize that he has the authority to come and torment them or to bring judgment to them. See, they know that there is a day coming. They know that there's a final day coming when they will be ultimately banished forever into the lake of fire, forever for their rebellion and hatred toward God. And so Jesus shows up and they're like, whoa, busted. Wait, why are you here so early? This isn't time. You come to torment us before our time. We know that God has a time and this ain't the time. So they're really confused and freaked out. Next, uh, let's go back to Mark. Sorry. Verse 8. No. Yeah. For he said to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. Isn't it interesting that Jesus says to this devil, come out of him, and then the enemy responds to him. Now, every time Jesus cast out a devil, they immediately came out. But here, a conversation ensues. It's interesting, isn't it? And so he got, and they said, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a second. Are you here to torment us for our time? Because we know it's not time. What have we to do with you? And then Jesus said, does something curious. Verse 9. Then he asked him, what is your name? You think Jesus didn't know his name? Hmm? See, he needed his disciples to hear this. He answered saying, my name is Legion. For we are many. That's my best demon impression. I think you sound like the Pharisees. My name is Legion. Now think about this. My name is Legion. First of all, is there really a spirit called Legion? Hmm. Now we know that there are various spirits out there. The spirit of lust and greed and pride. But Legion? No, no, no. Here's the devil. He's always overplaying his hand. He thinks somehow he's going to intimidate Jesus. First of all, Jesus, you're out of your time. And if you're, out of, if you're here at the wrong time, then you're out of the will of God. So we're legion. We're many. Now, it's interesting that the demon used the word legion because legion referred to a Roman regiment of soldiers. Matter of fact... It was 6,000 plus soldiers. I would say that's many demons. In one guy. Now we know there were several thousand. We don't know if it was 6,000 because of what happened. My name is Legion for we are many. Verse 10. Also he begged him. This, this, now the devil's begging him earnestly that he would not send him out of the country. He doesn't want to leave this region. Why? Because there's obviously a demonic stronghold here. They can play really well in Decapolis. 
because there are so few of God's people there. This is the outside world. These are people outside the covenant. And, and Paul talks about when we were Gentiles, before we knew Christ, that we were under the prince of the power of the air, under his influence. He had just like puppets on strings. And these demons were having lots of activity there and having a great time. So they begged him that, they, that he not send them out of that region. Next. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. Verse 12, so all the demons begged him, saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. What an interesting question. Why are they requesting to be sent into pigs, first of all? Well, they know he's not going to send them into people. And they need something to inhabit. Otherwise, they're not having any fun. So apparently, they can both possess people and, and animals. Send us to the swine. And at once, Jesus gave them permission. I think it's Luke's gospel that says, Jesus said, go. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000, we're talking about 2,000 pigs. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So we know that there were probably at least 2,000 of them. Because 2,000 pigs just suddenly went crazy. All of them came out of this one man. They enter the pigs. It's, it's very interesting. The pigs are out there feeding, having a good time. <laughs> and all of a sudden, they just go crazy. And the herdsmen are watching this happen. And they, wee, 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 and they're all running down this hill violently. And they crash into the sea. And pigs can swim. But none of these pigs did. And they all, can you imagine this thing? 2,000 pigs just out there in the water floating around dead. I mean, this is a scene Now, Peter might have something to say about this. And those who may be sensitive to the animal kingdom. Because this looks very mean. This is so misunderstood. I used to read this story and go, I don't like that story. I don't like that story. It's weird. All of it has a purpose. All of it has a purpose. There are many who think that, I mean, come on, is Jesus into cruelty to animals? He created them. He gave them the gift of life. He's not like that. He's not like that. So, so people get caught up in, in the, the death of those pigs and really miss the point of the story. It's a strange occurrence, no doubt. But can I remind you tonight that the Lord is just, the Lord is good, and he's full of compassion. And so we have to look at this story from that understanding, otherwise we'll miss the point. And the point is, let me just give you a couple of thoughts on this. Is this all right? First, by allowing these demons to enter the swine, it would become clear to everyone in that region that the devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy they would see a huge illustration of that. That demonic activity should not be welcomed at your house. This is what demonic activity looks like. Death. Destruction. All of those devils had been housed in one man, and they eventually would have killed him. Second, we can see that Jesus values this man far more than 2,000 pigs. He helps us, brings us kind of Back to that truth that we are made in the image of God, not them. 
Matter of fact, Jesus talked about sparrows and he said, if God takes care of them, aren't you of much more value than they? Hmm? Much more value than they. I mean, how about the sacrificial system for Pete's sake? How many animals were slaughtered throughout that whole sacrificial system? So that blood, because blood had to be shed, because where there's, there's no shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And that blood just had, had to keep getting shed for the people's sins so that God could continue to work with them. And animal after animal after animal after animal, millions probably, were sacrificed. Because God, his heart is toward us. And he'll use whatever means possible to help us. Maybe also, here's another thought. Now, this is speculation, but it is possible that maybe some of those pig farmers were Hellenistic Jews. And they were profiting much on farming pigs. And we know that that is not a good Jewish thing to do. Matter of fact, God called that animal unclean and told the Jews to stay away from them. So maybe Jesus is showing them, all right, here's a slap on the back of the hand. You need to get out of this pig business. Those who fed the swine, look at verse 14. I'm almost through. Those who fed the swine fled and they told it in the city and in the country and they went out to see what it was that had happened. So wow, now the whole city is going to come and witness this event. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon possessed and had the legion sitting, watch, sitting and clothed, clothed and in his right mind. And what's their response? And they were afraid. Again? Here it is. Man in awe of God. Because they did everything they could to get this guy away from them, to somehow subdue him, somehow, and nothing in their own power could help him. But this guy shows up, and the man is sitting clothed in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus. And it says, and they were afraid. Now, let me ask you something. What should be? Put yourself in this area for a moment, and you come up on this scene. People, the news has been coming, and the whole crowd's coming out. You're running out there, and you hear this story, and you see this guy who has just brought so much trouble to your community sitting there having a conversation in his right mind with his clothes on, eyes clear, and you've seen him otherwise for a long time the other way. And you see this man, Jesus. What would your response be to him? Or what should your response be to him? Thank you, sir. Thank you. I mean, we're happy for him, but we're also very happy for us. Now we can have peace. We can even forgive all the pig slaughter. Remember, Jesus didn't send them the, the swine down the mountain. The demons did. It's interesting that even the farmer, these guys who were in charge, of, they didn't try to bring some charge against Jesus. So that's why I'm thinking their silence is kind of eerie on that. They ask him one thing, though. Look at this. I mean, you'd want to know more about this man. Who are you? Hey, I've got an uncle that needs healing. Can you come and help him? But look, and those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Verse 17. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. 
What is up with that? The miracle worker has shown up. The one, he has brought order and peace to this terribly chaotic situation. Your opportunity is before you and you're telling him to leave? Man, we don't like Jesus messing with our pigs though. You stay on that side of the lake and we'll stay on this side. We like the way we do life here and you come over here and start disrupting stuff. We don't want that. And he is there to set the captive free. He's there to heal. He's there to bring the wisdom and grace of God. No, we like our pigs. We like things the way they are. As chaotic as it is. Don't be messing with our pigs, Jesus. And you know what Jesus does? Look at this. They plead with him. And when he got in the boat, so Jesus turned around and got in the boat. This, this is a sad story to me. I mean, it's great for the guy, right? But it's sad when they have the son of the living God there and want nothing to do with him. When he has brought great peace to their region. Man, I mean, gosh, can you imagine the barbecue that they're about to have? (laughs) And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. I mean, this guy gets it. Hey, I want to be with you. I don't know about these jokers. I don't know why they want you. I don't want you to leave. You changed my whole life, Jesus. Where you are, that's where I want to be. Come on, can I get a witness tonight? Where he is, that's where we want to be. Amen. I, I want to, and I don't know why he wanted to go, maybe out of gratitude, but I wonder if he feared too. Jesus, if you leave, I don't want this to happen again. Because as long as you're here, there, I, I, I'm not tormented anymore. And maybe there was some of that there. I mean, I think that's understandable, right? Look, however, Jesus did not permit him. I said to him, go home to your friends. Man. What a compassionate God. They reject him, but he still sees a way in. Go home to your friend. Tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. Since they don't want me, you go speak on my behalf. You go talk for me. You get the good news out. I love this. You know what also he's saying? This ain't going to happen to you again, buddy. You're free. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis. So he didn't just go to his city. He went to all 10 of them. All that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Now, what's interesting is this set the stage for a couple of chapters later. They show back up over to this area. And I don't, it was in one of those, those 10 cities. And it says the people recognized him and ran to him. And he sets a boy free. Uh, And anyway, whole different response. Well, what's the difference? This evangelist did his job. He got the news out and he stirred up a hunger in these people to want a better life. You, now think about this. This guy has just been delivered from thousands of demons. What is his theological understanding of things? What is his Bible background? Right? What does he know? Jesus said, I want you to go and preach. You go tell him. 
Well, I don't. I didn't go to Bible school. I, I don't. Even, I don't even know the Bible. No, you just say what Jesus did for you. That's all you need to do. Just tell your story. Just tell your story. Tell about what Jesus has done, how he changed your life, how he set you free, how he brought peace to your chaotic world. And just let that message ring out because it will. It will. It will. It's so wonderful if we all will just be that simple mouthpiece for him. Don't neglect to tell of the wonderful things that God has done for you wherever you go. Your sphere of influence. You're around the same people a lot every day. Hmm? Yeah. Share the great things that God has done for you. And instill this and this hunger in them for more. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for this time together with these precious people. Thank you for your wonderful word and all the great things that we, we discover in it. And how it's so multi-layered and multi-dimensional and so alive and so relevant for us. Thank you that you are the one who calms the storms. And Lord, we stand in awe of you tonight. Who is able to turn our situation around just like that. Just one encounter with you. One word from you. One moment. And so Lord, we thank you for that. All the potential that is in you. In us. Because Christ is in us. Thank you, Father. Help us, Lord, tonight to be, just by looking through these stories that we're reminded tonight, that you have a destination called your promise. And all your promises are in Christ Jesus. Yes and amen. So that we will not get caught up looking at our stormy circumstances or our troubles. But remember, no, Jesus said the promises are yes. So I'm still getting there. And I'm going to see that promise realized in my life. He will see me through. Thank you, Lord. And we also appreciate tonight and thank you that there is no one that is too far gone, too bound, too sinful that you cannot come and set them free. We thank you that your name is above every name. And may we remember the power of your name tonight. Thank you that you've set these captives free tonight. And Lord, I thank you that you commission us to go and set the captives free with this glorious message. Christ died for your sins and he was buried and God raised him from the dead. And whoever believes on him, whoever, whoever, whoever believes on him will have everlasting life. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. With you, there's always hope. Always. Always. I want to ask you tonight, if you're here and you need healing in your body, if you would just raise your hand, I want to pray for you right now. You need healing. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you. You see these who need a touch from God. And I believe, Lord, that you're here with us because we're here. And the anointing of the Spirit is here because we're here. And it's flowing in this place. And that anointing, the moment you took that first, that first, first lash on your back, the moment that first strike crashed down on your back, a fountain of healing was open. And by your stripes, they are healed. 
And I declare right now that that healing fountain is flowing freely into these bodies, removing sickness, disease, infirmities, and pains. Surely you bore all of it. And we thank you, Lord, because you carried it, because you bore it. They are part of the exchange now. You were wounded and they were healed. And we declare that they are healed tonight, right now, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.